0: hi and welcome to deer iq where smart hunting begins i'm adam lewis 20 plus year educator 30 plus year deer hunter tastefully seasoned outdoor writer and i'm here to help you achieve what we all hope for to be truly greater deer hunters this is the wrap-up in our series public land hunting mastery and answering the question is public land hunting ruined we are hearing from a handful of our guests giving their best tips on public land hunting some we've heard from and some we will hear from in episodes to come. As we start I want to challenge you to do a couple things. First download our free journal to use with this podcast. That's really going to help. Second, as you do that here are the top look-fors or things to look for during this episode. What is the number one tip each expert gives and how is it different than the other experts? Where do each of these hunters hunt public land, a key distinction, and how does this compare to your area, pressure, and specific terrain? I feel this is very important to think about. And I have a few challenges at the end that I believe will truly take your hunting skills up several notches, so make sure to stay tuned and listen for that. And now, let's get to the podcast and up your deer IQ. First, we have John Eberhardt sharing his favorite public land setup. John, who hunts a lot in Michigan, was in episode number 16, talking public land hunting, and will also be in a future segment about systems of great hunters. So here's John's top public land setup. John, what is one public land setup that you love that would be the number one setup you would look for if you could pick one and why?
1: Uh, interior of a bedding area. Um, and I love those because those are phenomenal spots during pre-rut and rut when mature bucks are typically moving some during daylight hours. So pre-rut when I'm in those interior bedding areas, you know, that's when bucks are searching for those early estrus stoves. So usually they'll come in and they'll bed down before daylight. then they may get up at nine or 10 o'clock and search through the bedding area, sent checking for, you know, those that came in earlier. And then they may, if there's another bedding area close by or something, and it's got good transition security cover to it, they'll take that security cover to the next bedding area and check that. As long as there's security cover, they're going to move around. So during pre-rut, bucks are also on some semblance of a routine. So if I set up a, location in a bedding area it's going to be where there's an influx of deer activity you know it's going to be where three or four runways converge maybe there's going to be a little opening or maybe there's a couple oak trees back in a bedding area that they're still going to be feeding on so i'm so i not only have a phenomenal spot for pre-rut hunting during the rut phases you know that's where the mature bucks push the does the hot does when they're in estrus they will physically kind of push them and guide them back into the bedding areas and then they breed, they breed in there all day long. When they're with a hot doe, they'll breed a doe that doe will bed down, they'll probably bed down 10 to 15 yards downwind of her, then 20 minutes to a half hour later the buck will get up, he will go nudge her, they'll play the 30-40 yard running game through the bedding area, breed her again and they do that all day. They do that all day long and it's always in security cover where they feel where the buck feels comfortable moving around during the daylight, you know, and breeding. So um, my hands down, my number one spot for public land or interiors of bedding areas during the rough phases. And it can happen at any time of day. And that's a cool thing about Mm -hmm. a sandal is it can also happen any place around you. There's no rhyme or reason to activity in a bedding area.
0: Doug Roberts was on episodes number seven and ten to be in a deer's head. If you missed those really insightful episodes, check them out. He's a deer farmer and owner of Conquest Sense, had a TV show called Conquest 200, and grew up hunting in Michigan as well. But he's hunted all over the country. So here's a tip from Doug Roberts about public land hunting What is the number one thing you'd suggest for public land hunters? to get in the deer's head and be successful and be a greater deer hunter? First,
2: find a place, public land that isn't overloaded with
0: hunters. Um,
2: Because if it's overloaded with hunters, the stress level on those deer, have them at such a high level anxiety, um, it's gonna be luck to get one. If you find public land that actually um, is not over hunted, then I would say, uh, again, be scent free, have patience, but put things in the environment. S- sense, Evercom, Estra sense, Running Buck, food sense, whatever would bring them into that area um, where they feel safe, but it's something that helps them or enhances them, you know, a food source, um, uh, other deer smells. They, they have to find out where do these new deer fit in the pecking order? And when they can't see them, they still feel safe and they'll wait for them. That's why Evercom is so effective. And I'm, I'm not trying to sell EverCalm, but it is what it is. It works that well. And I think it works very, very well on public land because of that. It calms deer down. Um, and when you can keep them calmer, they're more at ease moving in that environment. You'll have more success.
0: Next, Dr. Clint McCoy is an outdoor writer and veterinarian, and brings this perspective to his articles, which you may have read in North American Whitetail. He will join us for a future podcast on private land hunting, but here he discusses his take on his approach to public land hunting, and Clint is an Illinois guy in farm country, so consider that on his perspective. Clint, what's your top tip for the current ultra-pressured public land hunting guys um, and how a hunter can still be successful on public land, even with the increased pressure.
3: Yeah. So the, the whole public movement now has really gotten guys to go deeper, you know, longer distances. So if if I, I and I literally have done this, I found some of the best sign on, on some public grounds, uh, both here and uh, in Indiana, um, we're talking within, 50 to 100 yards of, of some parking areas. You know, they know when you're there. When you pull in, Big Buck's going to lay up in there and go, mm, human. Um, so you don't always have to go deep because the deeper you go, the more crowded it's starting to get. <laughs> don't... Uh, the, the moral of the, the story there is don't sleep on what looks crappy like via aerial map, if it looks crappy and like, there's no way I'm going to kill a deer there. If that's your gut reaction, it's everybody else's reaction when they look at it too. So go investigate them. You might find the diamond in the rough on those
0: little things. The apps and the GPS, you know, satellite photos have so even the game for everybody. Everybody sees the same thing. Everybody's going to go. Everybody sees the pinch points. Everybody sees the islands out in the middle of the swamp. Everybody everybody sees that. And so they go there. So you almost have to not use that stuff or or just realize that, hey, this is going to be, this is so obvious. I should probably just stay away from that because last year I, or that this past winter, I did some scouting. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to go that, back in this deepest spot I can in the swamp it's over a mile walk it's like the center of this uh, public and on the way I found some good sign like a couple hundred yards from the road mark that you know and the deer was even still there I found like, like really big droppings I'm like okay there's a buck still hanging out up here and there was fall sign too and then when I got super deep I'm seeing tree stands and stuff and I'm like yeah because everybody's knows the secret now right <music> Hi, this is Adam Lewis with DeerIQ.com and this is your High IQ Moment. Have you ever had trouble sealing the deal on a particular whitetail or just in general in a season? You do all the work and then when the opportunity comes, for some reason you can't put a tag on the animal. This could be due to a miss or poor decisions in the moment or getting winded, just to name a few. I have to admit recently I've had issue with this, particularly on the shot. I'm getting close to big mature deer on public land, but due to factors like rushing the shot, even trouble anchoring and seeing my pins clearly, I've come up short on an opportunity or two this year. Take the time to identify problems you're having and actions to resolve these so you can seal the deal. With me, it's being extra practiced and sure of my shot sequence checklist. Practiced up with all my gear, including gloves, heavy coat, and face mask in late season here, and even going from contacts to glasses in this case due to some low-light pin glare I'm getting. Also, practicing during season is important so you aren't rusty at the moment of truth. Do what you need to do to feel confident and seal the deal. Aim for some public land tactics that actually work and help you beat the crowds, check out our free public land hunting guide with eight expert approaches to success it's linked below and if you're getting something out of this podcast consider sharing it with a friend who may benefit and also commenting liking or reviewing depending on where you're listening this helps the podcast grow and is greatly appreciated okay and now back to the podcast Jimmy Sites is host of the popular TV series Spiritual Outdoor Adventures and hunts all over the world for a variety of species. His home is in the hills and large reservoirs of Middle Tennessee, and he does quite a bit of whitetail hunting there, and yes, some public land hunting. Here's his secret to success on areas just like this. Jimmy, what is one public land tactic or setup that you love Uh, if you could pick just one, uh, to use.
4: I'm going to go back to hunting core land with a boat. When you find core of engineer land that is on a landlocked lake, so to speak. So in other words, you can't drive to that core land, uh, from a road or have access to it through some uh, property because it's all private. You can get to it with a boat. And so I will find on my maps where this core land is at, and I will go around with my boat and I will scout that lake shore and find pockets and spots and I'll get out. I'll make sure there's not a a dwelling within a hundred yards, the legality for the hunting purposes. I'll make sure that, uh, that it's, it's a big enough area of core that I would actually have a shot. And then I'm looking for ancestral trails. So I love ancestral trails. And if I can find those on the core slivers, I'm going to kill a deer there. So at that point, I start to strategize, what's my entry point here? Which side do I need to park my boat on? Because many times I'm within 20 yards of my boat when I'm hunting. Um, and so I want to hide my boat the best I can. Mm-hmm. Plus, I don't want people driving by on the lake in their boat to have my boat just sticking out. So I'll find a good old you know tree that's fallen, and I'll get in behind it with right. my boat. And then you got to be careful that snakes haven't dropped in your boat when you get back in in the dark. You know, this is all that stuff. It's all fun. But that's the tactic is the use of a boat, finding the right spot, uh, making sure there's an ancestral trail, setting up downwind, and then you can't clear anything that's any bigger than your thumb. So you can't go in there and, and chop off, you know, chop a bunch of stuff up and create your your lanes. You got to you got to be able to abide by the core laws. And uh, sometimes it's as thick and gnarly as the Amazon jungle. And I've been there. <laughs> But it's a lot of fun and you can get a lot of deer activity.
0: Dr. Jeff Kelly was in episodes numbers 13 and 14 talking public land hunting approaches, especially out-of-state hunting. And here he shares his number one thing he looks for when hunting out-of-state. When it comes to public land, uh, is there a particular setup that is favorite to you or something you're really looking for uh, that you when you see that or when you can replicate that, 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 that to you, that is the best possible setup.
5: Yeah. Um, I probably target tight pinch points more than anything. Um, you know, whether it be using a a river, a, a lake, my um, agriculture field, um, you know, out out in a lot of the areas that I hunt, um, yeah, finding those, those timber pinch points. I think I probably had more success on those. And then, you know, the, the tighter, the, the pinch point, obviously the better. Um, but you know, again, I typically go during the rut as well. So finding, you know, I'm not necessarily hunting food. I'm hunting, travel routes um and then the the tighter the 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 timber pinch point or whatever it may be the tighter the tighter the better when it when it comes to that so and and sometimes it's you know uh a 50 yard you know uh swath of woods or something that you know you know they're going to use so when i'm looking in in e-scouting digital scouting i'm really looking for the tightest tightest spots I can get into as far as pinch points, especially when you have a bow. That's, I mean, yeah, you don't have that much room, um, you know, to go hunt big timber and, and stuff like that. You gotta find pinch points.
0: Last we have Michigan DNR biologist, Chad Stewart, who will appear in our future segment on conservation and stewardship. This is his take on the solution from his perspective, or challenge we're confronted with in regards to the issue of high pressure on our public lands. Is there a fix? Here are Chad's thoughts. There's been, uh, the last few years, a lot of uh, what people would say... An increase in public land hunting uh, popularity. Uh, It's increased in pressure and I call it the almost post-COVID there's been like this surge of public land hunting popularity, uh, fad-like hunting and in a lot of areas people are saying it's you know the pressure is becoming really high. You know it used to be high pressure now it's like ultra high pressure. Uh, What do you think is possibly a solution for the future of over pressured, potentially public lands due to a lot of factors. One of those being private, being harder to find, uh, more leases and people can't afford those. Uh, do you see a solution for that? And if you do, what might that be?
6: Um, you know, I guess it depends on like what you're trying to accomplish. You know, one of the, one of the nice things about public land is that it's providing the opportunity for hunters to go out. And if you take away that opportunity, then that means they're, they're not hunting. So is is crowded and pressured hunting is is crowded and pressured hunting more valuable than no hunting at all? And I think those are like the that's like the the scale that you're kind of trying to weigh. Um, like there's there's ways to take public land and make it like a like a limited draw where you're only allowing certain people onto there you can add like a point restriction to it to make you know increase the quality of the hunt and and almost make it look like this destination but in doing so you're taking a lot of opportunity away from hunters who might not have an opportunity to hunt elsewhere and i think those trade-offs are the, the important thing that need discussed and Like what, what is the ultimate goal and what's trying to be accomplished?
0: So potentially the idea in Michigan has some areas like this, like the national refuge, Shiawassee, Shiawassee national refuge is a draw hunt. Um, So having multiple areas like that potentially in a state uh, that are draws while you also have the normal state land that anybody can hunt. um, You're talking about that idea basically.
6: Yeah, it's something where you can you can sort of carve out certain parts of public land and, and make it more um, limited, um, but more uh, maybe I guess what a, would be a quality experience. And, and to be clear, I, I'm not necessarily proposing this, but I'm just saying right. like if, if there was a solution, that's one of the solutions. But again, the con, the downside of that is that you're taking opportunity away from people who would uh, might might not be able to hunt because that opportunity is removed.
0: So as we wrap up, here are some key high IQ takeaways and challenges. What is one strategy our experts mentioned that you feel you can adapt to your hunting situation in your specific area? What do you feel is the solution to public land pressure as Chad Stewart of the Michigan DNR suggested, but didn't really answer? Comment with your thoughts wherever you're listening I'd like to hear them. And next time, we'll start our Private Land series, When You're the King Calling the Shots. How do you manage your domain for increased success without becoming part of the problem? That's a biggie. It's a good series. You won't want to miss it. And I'll see you next time.